everybody. This is Ellen Weatherford. I'm here with just the zoo of us, your favorite animal review podcast. And this week, I have a new friend for y'all. This is Gina Zwicky. Say hi, Gina. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you. And I'm excited to talk about our froggy friend for today. You love frogs. I I feel like I even associate you with frogs. (laughs) When I'm out and I see a frog, I think Gina would love this. (laughs) That is like my dream that I've held since I was like five years old was to just be some somehow like intangibly associated with frogs. So that, that truly warms my heart. Thank you. So how did you how did you come to develop this passion for frogs and like the work that you do in like naturalist work? I've sort of been like this for as long as I can remember. Uh, my dad and I are really close and do a lot of outdoorsy stuff together. And he actually got me two corn snakes when I was like eight or nine months old. So great age, you know, very appropriate age to have a pet snake. But um, they lived for over 20 years, just passed away like a year ago. And uh, yeah, oh my God, they had weird human names too. Their names were Kevin and Grace. Because <laughs> those are beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I, I was so enamored with these little corn snakes. They were so cute. And I have a, a house full of reptile pets right now. So stuck, it sticks with you and it gets you interested in exploring the kind of species you'll see locally as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think that's like really good for setting the groundwork for like an appreciation for nature later on, right? When you have like a little kid and you can kind of like expose them to unusual animals early on. That's so good and wholesome. (laughs) It really backfired on my parents, though, because it would turn into a lot of me exposing them to animals that they had absolutely no interest in being exposed to. Uh, I worked in an exotic pet store for a lot of my high school career, and if anything needed a little bit of TLC, I would bring it home, set up a little hospital station for, you know, whatever horrible creature I had decided to bring into my parents' kitchen. Uh, so, yeah, it's great to a certain degree, unless your child is is like me, or probably a lot of people who are super into animals and nature. I remember like being a little kid and doing that little like, oh, let's play veterinarian sort of setup. But you really took it a step further. You were like, no, it's the actual animal that's here now that we're taking care of now. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's how I actually end up uh, with most of my pets. Uh, most of the reptiles that I have now that are my permanent pets were that exact origin story. So <laughs> I can't help myself a lot of the time. They're too cute. So just having snakes in the house kind of kickstarted my love for herps in particular. But we did just spend a lot of time outside hiking, camping, birding, etc. So I've sort of just been looking for excuses to spend my free time outside for my entire life as far as I can remember. When we talk about herps, this like includes not just reptiles, but also amphibians, right? It does. And this actually isn't a very scientific way of, of going about this because amphibians and reptiles are not very closely related, or at least not enough to the degree that you would be calling them under the same umbrella term. But there's a historical term called herptiles that used to describe all kind of, you know, green, cold-blooded things. So it's sort of uh, an archaic callback to that, but it's the one still in use. So, you know, I definitely don't blame people for describing themselves as such. Taxonomy by vibes. Taxonomy's fake. Don't tell anyone I said that. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Species are fake. Nothing's real. So today we're talking about a cool frog. And this is a frog that I know very little about. So can you kind of introduce us a little bit to today's frog? Sure. So the Vietnamese mossy frog is, I think, one of the coolest living things on the entire planet. Its scientific name is Theoderma cortical. And that's how I assume it's pronounced. I've never heard it actually said out loud. So <laughs> sorry if I'm putting my foot in my mouth. 
you're officially one of us when you just go for a pronunciation and you just you got to barrel into it. Nice winging it. All right. So this frog is in the family Racophoridae. So it's, as the name suggests, native to Vietnam. But what's cool about it is it has this extremely, extremely beautiful and interesting body that looks like moss. I mean, not to state the obvious from the name again, but if you Google a picture of these frogs, they're just really, really, really convincing mimics. And this form of body type in camouflage is called crypsis. So the act of being cryptic or not easily seen. And it's a common camouflage strategy, but these guys just do it astonishingly well and in a really beautiful way. When you say a mossy frog, I think that conjures an image that I think I like kind of get. It does evoke a little bit of mystery because it's like you got the moss. That's great and beautiful. You've got the frog. That's great and beautiful. You combine them together to create like the most powerful aesthetic imaginable. I seriously think that it might be like (laughs) I don't think if I was ever in a region where you could actually find this species, I would ever see one because they're just so good at being moss. (laughs) Like They have all sorts of beautiful textures, too. It's like a raised sort of papillated skin. And I just like I want to look like that, you know? Maybe I can cover myself in moss. Right? Just like, you know, become one with the earth, sort of like melt into the ground. It's ideal. Leave your problems behind. (laughs) Go to the swamp. Become moss. Follow in the footsteps (sighs) of this powerful frog. Oh, man. If only. How big is this frog? Like, how big of a frog are we talking? Is this like a handful of frog? It's like a handful of frog. I like that unit also. I think most frogs can be described by by the handful. It's about two to three inches long, sometimes a little bigger, sometimes a little smaller, as far as I'm aware. As you've indicated, there can be a pretty wide diversity of size in frogs that maybe not everybody is aware of. The teeny tiniest frogs can fit on a fingernail, and the largest ones weigh several pounds, up to like five plus pounds. African bullfrogs are horrifyingly large in, in a way that I, I appreciate and respect. You know, when I say horrifyingly, it's it's with the utmost affection. Yeah. And, you know, even just I live in Florida and in the summertime at night when you go outside, it's like deafening with frogs. Like you go outside and it's just this like orchestra of frogs that are calling because we've got like tree frogs, leopard frogs, bullfrogs, like... <laughs> They're just going nuts. I'm just picturing that. I'm just sitting here, just like sitting in that little mental image for a minute. I love hearing frog calls in warm weather. It's such a treat to live in a place where I hear them for most of the year. But oh my God, you can't beat Florida. I'm so jealous. (laughs) We have quite the... Unfortunately, we also have Cuban tree frogs. Mm, We're getting them here too. We have them spreading throughout the city, but not into most of the natural areas surrounding it yet in New Orleans, which is great. And part of the community science project that I help run data collection trips for is listening for those Cuban tree frogs. So we can kind of have tabs on how quickly they're spreading, where they're currently setting footholds, stuff like that. So when you're like out looking for frogs, using those vocalizations, is it like a big factor into your frog search process? So it definitely depends on the time of year and time of day. Because it's all well and good to do that when the frogs are active, but you know when it's during the day when most frogs, at least the ones that I like to go find, are asleep or just chilling, you have to kind of know where they like to spend their downtime. So more often when I'm hiking during the day, I'll kind of peel my way through palmetto fronds, tall grass adjacent to the side of the water, and that's how I usually find them. But at night, it's I mean, they will make themselves known. <laughs> it is impossible to not. They tend to kind of find a conspicuous spot to call a lot of the time too on the night hikes that I take just to, you know, whether amplify their own call, make themselves a little bit 
easier to find by a potential mate. But yeah, <laughs> they're definitely not hiding. So I do appreciate it. <laughs> they make it easy. It's a little beacon that says, I'm over here. Here's me. I know. They're so cute. So if you've never listened to this particular podcast before, our thing that we do is we rate animals out of 10 in different categories. And the first category that we rate our animals on is effectiveness. This is physical adaptations to their body that let them do a good job of the things they're trying to do. So this is a frog who has obviously specced highly into stealth with trying to uh, optimize its body, like it has kind of absorbed camouflage into its whole body. What do you give the Vietnamese mossy frog for effectiveness? My completely unbiased, neutral opinion is that if there was something more than 10, I would give it to them. Like, look at this, <laughs> look at this frog. Like, tell yourself that you could go find that frog in the wild. Like, I, I really feel like a visual aid is important here. Mm-hmm. I just think that they are so good at what they do. And what they do is a lot of nothing, a lot of sitting still, hoping that nothing that wants to eat them can find them. I really hesitate to think of an animal that's better adapted to just looking like nothing right. in the environment where it's from. <laughs> so 10 out of 10, definitely, definitely a very objective observation. How is it that they look so mossy? Like, what is it about their body that makes them look like a clump of moss? So they have raised sort of bumps on the skin that come up pretty high. So it textures their body in a way that blends in really, really well with some of the small non-vascular plants that they sit in when they're kind of on the side of a tree on a branch. And they also have a sort of mottled coloration that mimics the background foliage as well. So it's not just the coloration. It's, you know, the texturing the positioning, where they're actually putting themselves to situate themselves when they're asleep. This is actually a really common strategy, evolutionarily speaking. And one of the most interesting things about the Vietnamese mossy frog is that there are several other frog species, I believe seven off the top of my head that we know of, that look almost identical to them. So they've evolved the same exact sort of cryptic coloration, body texturing, and they're really, really effective cryptic camouflage So I just think that's super cool. Convergent evolution is one of the coolest things, I think, in evolution, some total. So the Vietnamese mossy frog is a great example of, I think, the best attempt at this particular form of crypsis. This is helping them hide from predators, so things that are going to be trying to eat them. Is this factoring into their own sort of hunting patterns? Like, are they hunting things and trying to, like, catch prey? So frogs, for the most part, eat anything they can fit into their mouths. They're not very discriminating. And that's part of the, you know, to draw back a little bit, the problem with Cuban tree frogs, because they will eat absolutely anything, including smaller frogs. So the Vietnamese mossy frog is no exception, eats insects, small arthropods, pretty much anything that'll cross its path. And crypsis is great for ambush predation as well. So kind of waiting for something to put itself right near you, right in front of you, and then just springing into action and taking your prey. So I assume they are pretty good at that as well. I've never seen them do it in person. But yeah, cryptic coloration can totally be a boon to that form of ambush predation behavior as well. I really like the ambush predation strategy because it allows you to get all of the reward with so much less of the risk. (laughs) Right? That's another evolutionary strategy that I just admire so, so, so much. Um, Being able to get the best results with exerting the least amount of effort. Yeah, I love animals that are just max efficiency, you know, anything with a super slow metabolism that just does so little to survive. Oh, my God. I hate to, again, say just like, God, I wish that could be me. But (laughs) (laughs) truly doing the absolute least at all times. Oh, nothing but respect. (laughs) 
I'm getting a little like teary eyed just thinking about how good these frogs are. Honestly, <laughs> they're just better at doing nothing than I will ever be at anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to look up real quick. I don't know why I didn't do this before we started, but I'm just going to look up a picture. Wow. Oh, they're Aren't they pretty? So, they're like little jewels almost. They're just little guys. Oh my god. <laughs> they're, uh, just they're so guys. cute. <laughs> and their little toes. Oh, sorry. I'm just getting emotional again. No, I was just about to ask about the toes. <laughs> so they have these sort of like disc-shaped toes, it looks like. What like what's going on with the toes? A lot of tree frogs, arboreal amphibians will have toes like this and the toe pads are basically to help them stick to stuff it helps them be effective climbers helps them sort of anchor themselves to the point where they want to sit on the branch and they're just so cute frog toes are i think the single cutest feature that any animal has and it's ubiquitous across frogs but (laughs) but tree frogs are the best so very effective little sticky pads are they is it that they're sticky or they suction cups or like what how does the toe work so they are basically just sticky have you ever held a frog no I'm too scared. <laughs> I'm, I totally feel you. Yeah, I'm not like scared that they're gonna hurt me. It's the the unpredictability of the movement is what makes me afraid that they're gonna like jump at me. And it just I'm I'm so skittish that I'm worried I'm gonna like drop it or something. So in desperation, in a pinch, I have picked up a frog to escort it outside of my house, and I was screaming the whole time. But <laughs> it's out of love. That's for the true frog. love. Yeah. <laughs> Facing your fear for, for the good of the little frog. Yeah, that's that's true love. But yeah, the f- pads actually feel sticky. They sort of kind of glue themselves onto you. Uh, and it's not ideal to pick up amphibians with your bare hands just because their skin is really, really porous. And they're very sensitive to anything you might have on it. Like if you had hand soap or sunscreen or bug spray or anything like that, it could be pretty serious if it gets in their skin. However... If you have super clean hands and you get the chance to hold a tree frog, it'll feel like it basically adheres to you. Part of the reason that they sit the way they do with their feet sort of tucked up under them and kind of getting their body as small as possible is to conserve water. So they kind of just stick themselves right where they're going to be until they have to find food, have to find a mate, do whatever they're going to do when they're awake in their little froggy day. And it's pretty effective. It seems to be working great. With these frogs, do they do this thing that I've he- I've heard of this with other amphibians? Breathing through the skin. What is the breathing through the skin about? Like, how does that work for frogs in general, but also for like these frogs? Because it seems like they have so much going on with their skin. Does that affect their need to like breathe through their skin? So you mean just with respect to how textured their skin is? Right. Or? So it's all like bumpy and warped looking. Does that have any effect on the permeability of their skin? You know, that's an interesting question because as far as I would assume with a frog that lives in a sort of humid tropical environment, that would just serve to increase surface area, which would actually make them more efficient at respiring through their skin. I don't actually know uh, with respect to this particular species, but frogs do have lungs, but they perform a lot of their respiration actually through their skin, bypassing the lungs and basically diffusing oxygen in, CO2 out. And interestingly, some salamanders actually don't have lungs at all. So amphibians are really, really good at skin breathing, which is another super cool thing and reason why they are the best. It looks like they have kind of like almost slit pupils. So are you talking about like the little bar that passes like horizontally or? Yeah, I'm looking at their eyes and they have this kind of the pupil is sort of shaped like almost ovally. And then there's this black line that runs sort of down. Is that part of the pupil or is that just some sort of like marking on the eyes? So the line that's running down is a marking that's actually on the iris. Um, 
Most frogs, as far as I know, have round pupils, but I would assume, this is me just <laughs> kind of pulling this out of the air, so I hope I'm right, that it's sort of a visual disruption to make them less obvious because if they had their eyes open and it was just a big greenish blue dot, I think it would make them a lot less effective at camouflaging because the eyes would stand out pretty well. So having that little bar, my best guess would be that it serves to break up their pattern and help them camouflage even with their eyes open. That's really cool. Everything about them is cool. I'm looking at a picture of somebody holding a bunch of them and it looks like he's just holding like a bunch of pebbles, a bunch of little mossy pebbles. Looks like a like some of the types of lichen that we get around here almost. Yeah, for sure. I think I know the exact picture you're talking about, but <laughs> the ones that are really close up and sort of portrait style that really take all of their details into account almost make it hard to tell how good they are at just looking like nothing because that picture where you're a little bit zoomed out, you're like, oh my God, like imagine trying to find that thing in the woods. Yeah. And in context, like they're sitting on like a log or up in a tree or something where everything around them would look exactly like that. So like, I definitely would not be able to find one. I have very poor eyesight anyway. So like if I was one of their predators, they would be 100% safe from me. So this is another time to make a good case for really, really looking at every patch of moss that you find. Because ever since I realized that frogs are super, super good at hiding, I just been unable to walk past like a palmetto without like peeling, peeling back the leaves, you know, like taking a really close look at anywhere that I know frogs like to hang out because it's so easy to just walk right past them and not see anything. So I always try to call their bluff and, and go back and find them. Sometimes it works out for me better than others. But yeah, it just it makes me suspicious of, of every patch of, of moss that I see now. You're walking by and like you see a little patch of moss just sitting on a log and you're like, I don't believe it. No, I'm not falling for that one. Okay, the most embarrassing thing, though, so being from Florida, you probably know what dwarf palmetto leaves look like and how they're kind of transparent, at least with respect to sunlight. And one of the best ways to find frogs is to look for the frog shadows. This is a trade secret. So usually if you have like a hiking trail or something like that, and the frogs are somewhat acclimated to people traversing this all the time, they'll tend to spend more of their time on the cooler, shadier side of the palmetto leaf that faces away from the trail. However, when the sun catches it just right, you can just see them super obvious, like frog silhouette. <laughs> but sometimes I'll like catch it out of the corner of my eye when I'm on a jog with people and like have to turn back and it's just like a leaf and I'm so embarrassed. So. <laughs> it doesn't always work out for me. I get very excited every time though. I have gotten extremely excited over the, the first time that I saw a salamander. Like, in real life, in the wild, I about screamed. I was oh just so God. beside myself because I finally saw a salamander and like I had been wanting to vocally so bad. And when I finally saw one, I was like, everybody look! <laughs> I relate to that so much, especially because I spend a lot of my time herping and it, it becomes sort of competitive, you know, with myself at least. Uh, in a similar way to, I guess, that birding can sometimes be. And whether or not this enhances the, the value of the hobby is up to individual opinion, I think. But I haven't found a single salamander this year. And I am so mad because everybody's out here posting their beautiful, beautiful pictures of the spotted salamanders that are breeding fairly soon, which are really beautiful, charismatic, like yellow polka dot, very brightly colored, awesome salamanders. And I have spent upwards of like 30 hours out in East Bumble, like by myself, like knee deep in mud looking for these salamanders and nothing, but it's fine. <laughs> it, it, it's fine. <laughs> I guess there's kind of a skill ceiling where it gets to a point where it's like, it doesn't even matter like how good you are at knowing where the best spots are and where you're most likely to find them. Like sometimes they're just not going to work with you. And that's just like, there's nothing you can do about it. 
Right. And it's interesting, again, with respect to salamanders, because a lot of species actually live a pretty long time and can be reliably found year after year in the same like 10 to 30 square foot area. So people will have their very closely guarded group secrets of where they have their sites that they'll go to find particular species or interesting individuals of a particular species. Uh, Notably, there was a piebald, I think it was a spotted salamander, but totally just like nuts looking. And obviously you want to keep that very closely guarded because a lot of the time when you find a wild animal that has interesting coloration that's totally unique, it becomes a danger that people will try to go and collect that animal in the wild for use in the captive breeding population. Because you can make a lot of money off of novel color morphs and things like that in the pet trade, but obviously... As much as you can, you want to leave those unique animals out in the wild to be part of nature and not, you know, take advantage of that for money. Yeah. You had mentioned that you had seen one of these uh, Vietnamese mossy frogs within a like a reptile convention setting. Yes. Yeah. Are these frogs that are commonly like kept as pets? I wouldn't go as far as to say common. I think they're more of like a higher end hobbyist pet. So I've only seen a handful of them ever at expos, which... I go to pretty frequently because I buy food for my snakes in bulk there. I'm usually not there to, you know, browse the live animals for sale. But every now and then you'll stumble across them. And they're even more beautiful in person than they are on the internet, as you probably could imagine. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know anybody personally who keeps one as a pet. But they, they did enjoy, quote unquote, enjoy a popularity spike a few years ago where they were really like the hot topic at a lot of these reptile shows i can't blame them i mean look at them they're so perfect and good (laughs) i know they're so cute they're just good boys and i actually i haven't looked into their commonality in the pet trade in the last couple of years so they might be a lot more common than i know so i'll have to look that up when we're done i'm interested now so say you are a predator of sorts and by whatever means you have spotted or found yourself a vietnamese mossy frog Are these frogs at all, like, poisonous? So many frogs, if they're not, you know, deadly poisonous, do secrete some form of at least unpalatable mucus. I actually don't know with respect to this species. And that brings up the interesting point that their ecology in the wild isn't nearly as well known as a lot of other species. So (laughs) I don't know if that's a factor of them being so cryptic and so good at hiding. But there's a lot about the species that we do not know. Shrouded in mystery. I Mm -hmm. love that. So enigmatic. That just like enhances their allure, you know, because then you're like, oh, what more don't we know about them? There's probably some really cool stuff going on underneath all that moss. I think so, too. And it's concerning a little bit because they are fairly threatened by the chytrid fungus, which is an amphibian global pandemic because we need more pandemics, obviously. But chytrid fungus is one of the main drivers of amphibian extinction crises, which are ongoing globally right now. So hopefully this won't be the case with this species, but for many in tropical habitats, it's sort of a game of catch up where we have to learn as much as we can about the species in the wild before it's no longer present in the wild. So hopefully we'll be able to (laughs) find ways to help these populations bounce back so we can keep studying them in as natural a setting as possible. So the next category that we like to rate our animals on is ingenuity, which for us is behavior that this animal shows, uh, adaptations to this animal's behavior that it's made to let it do things with this really cool and well-adapted body that it has to survive, thrive, do all the things it's trying to do in its life. What would you give the Vietnamese mossy frog for ingenuity? For ingenuity? Oh, man. Because again, just a lot of what they do is a lot of nothing. So 
a lot of their behavior on the day-to-day consists of sitting very still. So I don't know. I've been very generous in the past category. I'll give them a six for ingenuity just because it's not exactly a a novel (laughs) factor here. But um, they actually are semi-aquatic. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of information from the pet trade that'll kind of leak its way onto some of the more official species information pages, but they hide in the water as well and sort of camouflage themselves in floating plants. So it's not just, you know, on rocks, on branches, stuff like that. But again, there's only so far you can praise like sitting around and pretending to be a rock or a leaf or something. So let's give them the six and they'll be grateful. Yeah, because I think there's a case to be made that like, while yes, you are sitting around doing nothing, you have to be sitting around and doing nothing strategically. Exactly. <laughs> like in a sort of setting where, you know, you're in the right spot. Maybe you're like with some other moss. I'm thinking like Peter Malark from The Hunger Games, where like yeah. he had to like set himself up. So like it takes kind of like a an ingenuity investment at the start to get into the right spot. And then after that, it's smooth sailing. You can kind of coast on that for a while. Yeah, for sure. I respect it. (laughs) In your experience, have you found frogs to be particularly clever? Like, has a frog ever done anything that to you, you were like, wow, that is a very smart thing that frog did? So I think there's a lot of variation in this across taxa. I am recalling a paper or article that I read about wood frogs actually demonstrating like basic capacity to learn. So that would be a a pretty interesting example of extraordinary amphibian intelligence. I have never seen a frog do anything particularly smart. I kind of look at them like they don't have a little thought behind their cute little eyes, which is maybe patronizing. You know, I, my mind is open to the possibility that the frog is, is judging me just as harshly. Um, but toads do a pretty interesting thing with regards to, prey recognition. It's a sort of classic example in, I believe it's called a fixed action pattern in animal behavior ethology, where they register very, very rapidly that the thing in front of them is prey. And that triggers an almost unavoidable physical response to sort of launch themselves at it and open the mouth and eat it. So I don't know how much of this is actually thought and how much of it is sort of brain see bug, body say eat bug. (laughs) I'm thinking about those videos where someone would have like a Pac-Man frog or something and they would hold up a phone in front of it that would show a video (laughs) of like an ant or something and the frog would just be lunching Uh with the phone. (laughs) Yep, exactly that. Yeah, they're highly, highly visual predators. And again, Pac-Man frogs especially are just like big as anything, like sitting around in the mud waiting to eat something to maintain their enormous body size. Also, for what it's worth, Pac-Man frogs are definitely a little scary. <laughs> like, I love them, but <laughs> they can pack a pretty serious bite. Um, I've seen fairly severe Pac-Man frog bites. So less of the warm and cuddly frog and more of the kind of like Bowser looking <laughs> frog. Yeah. And their body kind of looks like it's mostly just mouth. Yeah. It's almost like Eldritchian in a way. It's just so <laughs> singularly constructed to just eat, which, again, a little spooky. Because imagine if you were tiny. Like, frogs are cute just because we're huge and frogs are small. Like, if I was bug size, I'd probably be more afraid of frogs than, like, cats or any other <laughs> predator that I would find. Just because there's there's no thinking. It's just a instinctive, immediate, I will eat you response. No thoughts. Head empty. Only consume. <laughs> only bug. I am frog interested in eat bug. so we can't we maybe can't give them super high in the ingenuity category which is fair as of recording this i very recently talked about opossums and had to give them a disappointingly low score for ingenuity but one of the things that i mentioned was that like they don't have to be smart (laughs) 
<laughs> for us to yeah. for us to love and appreciate them, you know, like it can be part of their charm and their appeal that maybe they don't do a ton of thinking, but it's okay because maybe they don't have to, you know? That's half of what appeals to me about frogs, honestly. I just find them so charming in such like a fundamental way. <laughs> So I totally agree with you. Base level. This was like the first draft of animals. And they were like, it's perfect. Change nothing. Let it go. (laughs) Mm, Frog, give me serotonin. (laughs) Perfect as is. The blueprints for frogs were submitted. And evolution was like, it's perfect. Let it go as is. Just send that out. Send it to print. Okay, a brief segue. So there's a show called Heaven's Design Team. It's an animated. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) So good. We've heard from God. It's approved. (laughs) That's exactly what I was thinking about. Yeah, we've been watching that in my house where it's just honestly just for the sake of the viewer or the listeners who might not be familiar with it. It's a really weird anime where it's just structured as like a team of angels have been hired as developers to create animals for Earth. So they create these like sort of grotesque, horrifying blueprints of these animals. And then all of a sudden, once it's just like described in the weirdest, like grossest way, just a sign from above. God's approved it. Ship <laughs> ship the animal. Perfect. So I'm waiting for the frog episodes. It's really funny because they'll like have a first draft of an animal and then the animal will like instantly die and they'll be like, okay, well we need to fix this about it. It needs this so that it can survive, you know, like, it, oh, it didn't get enough blood to its head. So now we got to give it this like weird circulatory system. And then like, it's really, it's such an interesting way of communicating like why animals are the way that they are. Cause they'll give you like a bad draft of it and be like, okay, well that didn't work. So let's fix it. You know? And it's just, it's such a charming show. I will say it's probably the least weird anime I've ever seen. It is the most like cut and dry. <laughs> That's fair. It's respectively weird to the normal things that I watch, I guess, quote, quote, unquote, I guess. But I think one of the interesting things about it, too, is how biologically accurate it is. Like all the stuff that they're saying about why these rough drafts of the animals wouldn't work is totally logical. It makes biological sense. And they do a really, really awesome job of communicating like the evolutionary science behind a lot of this, which is Almost weird. You know, I'm like, this isn't what I was watching this for, but I definitely appreciate it. This is now a Heaven's Design Team fan cast. Welcome. Oh, yeah. You got to start an anime podcast. (laughs) But like specifically like a science communication anime fan cast where it's like Heaven's Design Team sells at work. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) All those weird little anime that's like weirdly educational. (laughs) So back to frogs. (laughs) Because we've strayed from the path, as I knew we would, but it's okay. It was all part of the plan. The last category that we rate animals on, which I think is probably going to be a home run for this animal, is aesthetics. This is how nice the animal is to look at. It is purely arbitrary and totally just your opinion. What do you give the Vietnamese mossy frog for aesthetic? I want a shirt of this animal. I want a hat of this animal. I want shoes that look like this frog. I want like a necklace that looks like its little eyes. This frog... Is perfect in every way aesthetically. Looks like the best thing that has ever crawled the earth. 11 out of 10. The perfect aesthetic frog. There's just nothing wrong with it. Like, find something wrong with that frog. This is an artisan frog. Oh, seriously. This frog is like Fiji water of frogs, you know? This is the Lamborghini of frogs. Oh, my God. (laughs) Ship it. It's perfect. (laughs) Yeah, this one cannot be improved upon, I think. And I'm looking at a picture of it from the front, and it has just, like, the little smile. It's smiling. (laughs) This is what I say to people a lot of the time when they might be hesitant about frogs or they're not the biggest fans. It's just, like, look at them, like, head on. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just a little guy. (laughs) (laughs) And 
they're like mostly just mouth and legs. They're like mouth, eyes, legs. They, they had to put legs on it so that the mouth could get to the food and it's it. They were like, all right, it needs to be able to eat food and get to the food. Those are all the functions it needs to have. It's everything it needs to be. <laughs> I respect the simplicity. You know, there's again a certain charm to just an animal that does the very least with the most, you know. Something else that I think you usually associate with frogs is like hopping. The whole like using their legs to close a lot of distance. Is this something that factors heavily into this frog's like style? Because I I feel like when I think about frogs, I think about the jumping like mechanic. Is this something that they do a lot? So a lot of frogs that are arboreal or semi-arboreal find themselves having to hop fairly long distances. So they do have a lot of power behind it. I've never actually seen a Vietnamese mossy frog hop. But I've seen a lot of frogs that are vaguely shaped the same way do that. And they can get some really, really surprising distance. Green tree frogs are the most common frog of this relatively similar body shape around here. And sometimes I'll be walking through tall grass and they'll just like <laughs> pop out from nowhere and launch themselves like four feet across the path just because <laughs> I've bothered them in some way. But yeah, it's it's wild how much power they actually have in these teeny little legs. Yeah, um, I used to work at a pet store that sold Pac-Man frogs, but I really made a point to not interact with them very much. Um, because like you said, Pac-Man frogs are a little bit edgy, I think. They're <laughs> a little bit, they have like that slightly uh, unsettling look about them and also just their unpredictability of like, you never know, they're just going to like lunge at you. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. They're like gaboon vipers. It's scary. <laughs> yeah. So, but like, I was always, I, I'm very impressed when everyone gets into our house because, you know, my, my cat's chasing them and this little guy that is, you know, the size of maybe like one segment of my finger is hopping clear across the living room. Um, I, it's always very impressive. Like they found a good middle ground between form and function. Yeah. I just, nothing, nothing but respect again for the perfect <laughs> creature. But if you look at Pac-Man frogs, I don't know if you ever got a chance to like see ones like little Hank Hill butt from the from the back. <laughs> but yeah, they have like tiny little legs. They look really kind of sad when they're not, you know, in their horrible job of the hut. Like I will eat a, a live mouse in front of me position. <laughs> like you can so easily see what they prioritize just by the size of the limbs, the mode of locomotion. So like you said, you know, form informing function is an interesting thing. You can tell a lot about a frog's likely mode of living just by the way it looks. Oh, yeah, definitely. I've definitely been fully recruited to Team Vietnamese Mossy Frog. When you Google it, all of the results are like, this is the cutest frog ever. <laughs> <laughs> like all of the like headlines that come up are like, look at the cutest frog on earth. Look at the best frog ever. This is the greatest frog that's ever been created. That's real journalism. <laughs> <laughs> this is the number one best frog, which I don't know if I can say that I've talked about a few other frogs that were pretty good, but this one's definitely up there. So I've definitely been recruited to Team Vietnamese Mossy Frog. Before we get wrapped up for today, I did want to take a quick second to just kind of open the floor for you and like give you an opportunity to let people know any sort of projects or work that you're working on right now, anything you want people to know about or be aware of, where they can find you online, stuff like that. Sure. So I am a graduate student at the University of New Orleans, and the work that I'm actually doing is uh, a little bit <laughs> diverged from what we've talked about today. I actually am studying reptile genetics, specifically the evolution of the reptile immune system in the context of parasite host dynamic. So I post a little bit about my research and a lot about just being in nature, photography, etc. Lots of frogs on my Twitter, which I'm like shamefully active on. <laughs> 
truly a, a blessing and a curse. But uh, my <laughs> URL is Gina Goes Outside if you're there and would like to connect. And that's all about me, I guess. Well, I will say, like, yes, you're right. A blessing and a curse. It can go both ways. But I will say that, like, that's how I found you. And, you know, that's how I came to develop an even deeper appreciation for frogs, right? Because I think just, like, highlighting the charm of the little guys is is a lot. <laughs> it's so important, you know, because they can be so overlooked. Yeah, that's what I really like to do also is try to make people see common animals that might not be in the public eye in such a, a kind way uh, to just see them a little bit differently, to really appreciate the the lesser appreciated, you know, the slimy, creepy crawlies, stuff like that. They're all cute if you look at them with a kind eye, I think. Oh, definitely. Well, that was everything that we had for today. So I just really want to thank you for coming on and sharing your knowledge and sharing your passion and enthusiasm for frogs. I feel like it's infectious and it just is contagious. And I'm just hyped up for about this frog and about frogs in general. So I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having me. I I do this to everybody I know in person, <laughs> try to make, convert them to the, the frog side. So thank you so much for giving me a platform to, to come on and create another convert. <laughs> Have you met frogs? If not, <laughs> God, click this link. Well, thank you so much, Gina. We'll talk to you later. Thank you so much. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye.